0: Thank you for listening to this talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Welcome to the Art Gallery of South Australia. My name is Russell Kelty, the Associate Curator of Asian Art here at the Art Gallery. And today we're sitting in, or I'm sitting in, the recently opened Samurai Exhibition, which takes up the entirety of the downstairs Melrose spaces, Gallery 21, 20, and 19, And Samurai explores the evocative culture, lives, and spectacular art of the samurai from approximately the 14th century all the way through to the 21st century. And one of the main aspects of the show, or the exhibition, is that it presents the samurai as transforming throughout time as the... Samurai ruled Japan, the Japanese archipelago, for about 600 years, from roughly 12th century all the way to the mid-19th century. They were transformed by the politics, social-political atmosphere of the time as well, from their ascension as great warriors, to rulers of Japan, and then ultimately to bureaucrats during times of peace, and then to their their fall in the mid-19th century as Japan modernized. And one one work that I want to point out today, or I will be talking about today, is the fantastic set of armor that is on display for the first time at the gallery, and is in Gallery 19, actually in the middle, at the center of this this exhibition. Uh, it's the first time that the armor has been displayed at the gallery, and to our knowledge, it is the second oldest dated suit in all of Australian public collections. So it's quite Uh, A very beautiful as well as spectacular work of art, which uh, is worth coming to the gallery and also foraying into the middle of the samurai exhibition. Now, before I go on, I just want to say that the samurai exhibition includes a range, a huge diversity of art from diminutive sword guards, which are spectacular in their smallness to great folding screens of the, the fantastic epics of, of the samurai, such as the tale of Heike, which many of you may know, which is the great war counterpart to the tale of Genji, the great romance or love story of early Japanese history. And what you may be surprised at is that the gallery actually started collecting the accoutrements and the art uh, of the samurai from quite an early period, from about the late 19th century to early 20th century. The first pair of matched swords, the long katana and the small wakizashi, came into the gallery in 1951 in a post-war period. So the gallery has, probably unbeknownst to many people, had a long-term engagement with the art and culture of the samurai. And it's only now in this exhibition that we really get to explore the diversity of works of art and the beauty that is uh, the samurai uh, art associated with the samurai. So the suit itself is actually quite interesting Uh, many people who come to the exhibition might be surprised that the suit was made during a time of great peace so in fact it was never used uh, as an implement of war it was never used to shield somebody from a violent attack in fact it was a great display of one's prestige culture and status This is very much an evocation of the time in which it was created. So it was created in 1699 on a fortuitous day in the eighth month, the twelfth year of Genroku. And Genroku is an era. Japanese history is broken down into eras. Uh, So Genroku is 1688 to 1704. And it's this time of great flourishing of art and culture in Japan. After about 100 years of peace, uh, the economy was doing relatively well. Uh, The arts, literature... Culture, drama, all was flourishing uh, during this time of peace. And the samurai, of course, had transitioned from being ruthless warriors to now bureaucrats. Edicts had actually been sent down or disseminated by the ruling shogunate at the time, the Tokugawa shogunate, who ruled for about 250 years and brought together Japan, a vast amount of regional daimyo or regional lords for, with vast lands, tracts of lands in the provinces, about 260 as far as, as we know. And it was a great flourishing of the arts and peace. And so the samurai were now bureaucrats, and they were required by law, by a series of edicts, to not only pursue in a very disciplined fashion the the arts of the sword and the bow, which had a long history with samurai, but also the arts of uh, poetry, uh, writing, as the uh, the brush and ink became much more useful during this time than the sword. Of course, samurai were required to wear two swords to impose upon the the vast populations of Edo. Remember, in, in by 1800, Edo was if not the largest, one of the largest cities in the world. And so these vast populations of Edo Co or the children of Edo, the urban populations needed to, to be reminded who was in charge. And so they did wear swords, but they were, they were more like bureaucrats and administrators than warriors, uh, so to speak. And this, this suit is fascinating because it looks very frightful uh, from the top Uh, kabuto, or the helmet, all the way down to his suneate, or his feet guards, his shin guards. It is a spectacular masterpiece of decorative arts. It includes uh, lacquered iron, lacquered wood, bear fur, uh, gilded wood, this spectacular kuras, or chest piece, which depicts wrathful protector, Buddhist protector Fudo Myo with a sword and a lasso and a, and a great halo of flames to the silk that actually covers the thigh guards or the haidate, uh, which is beautifully embellished with floral scrolls, which probably weren't inspired by uh, either Indian or Indonesian textiles. The suit is, uh, is fascinating in many ways in the fact that it not only portrays the lineage of the samurai and the, this beautiful aspect of the samurai culture. But it also portrays something which people are often not, people who are new to the Edo period, which runs from 1615 to 1868, and the kind of dynamics, the political dynamics of it, is that Japan had, had protected itself by creating a series of portals through which foreign trade and foreign ideas could come through without having the problems of having many foreigners roaming around the country. The Dutch were ensconced in Nagasaki as well as the Chinese, which was actually a much larger population of traders. Up north they had relations with the indigenous of Hokkaido, the Ainu. Down south they had Uh, relations with the Ryukyu Kingdom or Okinawa as we now know it today, and they also had relations with Korea through which they uh, dealt with China. So they they had a very mitigated way of dealing with the world, which was to protect themselves, one, from uh, colonization by Europeans, as well as uh, from other East Asian powers. And one interesting aspect about the suit is that it actually displays many elements what we we could consider global culture, such as the iconography of textiles from India and Indonesia, as well as deerskin, uh, stenciled doe skin, probably from Thailand at the time because it was, in, it was quite a luxury item that was imported from Thailand. So the suit's not simply this beautiful evocation of the past of the samurai, but in fact it's this amazing symbol of status, culture, and kind of uh, beautiful uh, implements which it, with which it was made. Now, I've often described this in talks, the samurai suit, as a Descartes masterpiece. And it's important to remember that this wasn't created by one person, it was most likely created by a series of craftsmen in downtown Edo, which is the presently Tokyo. This would have either been chosen as it is, as it currently sits, or it would have, the pieces of it would have been chosen for a person of middling to high status. And it was the actual kudos, or chess piece, was made by one of the most renowned metal workers of the period of the Genroku era named Myochin Munesuke, the 54th head of the Miochin School, which began in the late 12th century uh, of metal cra- Miochin School of Metal Craftsmen. The side of the kuras has an inscription which records not only the date of its creation in 1699, but also Myochin Munesuke as the maker of the kuras. So it's quite spectacular in that respect. Now, how would this have been used? If this wasn't used for war, what was this this great suit of armor, which would have been come at a great cost to its owner? What was it used for? Well, as I was saying before, the Tokugawa shogunate, who ruled Japan at this time, put in place a series of rules and regulations and edicts to keep these these warrior clans under control. And one of those edicts was called Sunken Kotai. And what Sunken Kotai was was essentially it, it translates loosely as alternate attendance. And what that meant was Every two years, roughly, these great regional lords who had great wealth would have to get together 2,000 of their infantry or retainers loyal to them, dress them up in a status befitting their own status, and march them from wherever they were along one of the great roadways of the Edo period, the most notable being the Tokaido, all the way to Edo. And to ensure that these daimyo didn't get out of hand, uh, the shogunate made them set up residence in Edo, and so they would march all the way at great expense, uh, not only to equip, but also to actually bring their their whole uh, ensemble, their whole uh, uh, all of their infantry and retainers and so forth to Edo. They would house them there, and then when they had to return in the alternate year, they would actually leave their wives, their families there as virtual hostages of the shogunate. So it was this very complex system where. Everybody knew who was, in, who was in charge, and there were certain uh, things put in place so that, you know, if you got out of hand, if you didn't stay in your place, um, you know, they, your family would be in trouble. So this actual suit was probably used in one of those possessions. We don't know for sure. Or it could have been used in display during auspicious times of the year, such as New Year's or other times like that. So the suit itself, uh, if you go from top to bottom, it's, it's quite an amazing masterpiece. Even the helmet, which is known as a kabuto, is made from 60 plates of iron riveted together. If you go down from that, you can see that there, the mask, the Rese mempo, is actually in this very fierce expression. And he has the most wonderful hige on the bottom, as well as a uh, sorry, a, a small tuft of hair below his, his bottom lip, as well as a great mustache that's made out of animal fur. Now, one of the great uh, small, small interesting bits about this, this mempo, or this face mask, is that it has a, quite a bulbous nose, but actually if the wearer became too, too hot during uh, procession, you can actually pop a pin and the nose will flip open so you can get a bit more air. On the helmet itself, there's this very fearful, this very frightening visage of a shigami or a demon. And the, it has these elongated ears as well as these horns and great whiskers that are gilded in gold. And on the back of them is actually uh, bear fur that's been attached to the back. So just from the top bits, just the mask, the helmet, and the this kind of frontispiece, this maidate you get the sense of how opulent and spectacular the craftsmen of this period were late, late 17th century, early 18th century. It really was a time of great expansion of the arts and the arts of metalwork, the arts of uh, silk, of leather, all of these arts which actually are combined to make this suit were at their height of power. Uh, the artists were spectacularly brilliant at this time. Now, if you go down further, the chess piece itself The kuras is actually divided into five pieces of of metal, of iron, which is known as a gomai gusoku. And gusoku actually refers to, or it literally translates as just enough. And in the late 16th century, during a warring period before Japan entered a time of peace, the gusoku was actually a reduction in armor so that infantry could move and you could fight, and it wasn't as costly to outfit your army. And so literally it means just enough. So you have a chest piece and then this very flexible series of chain mail attached to silk, which was either uh, made and created in Japan or China. And then these beautiful um, lames or or scales that were held together by by, uh, silk cording. So what's interesting is actually the fact that Japanese armor is quite different from European armor in the fact that it is much lighter, it's much more flexible. And it's this very ingenious mix of media. Wood, lacquered wood, lacquered iron, silk, chain mail. Often there, there are recordings of people, not recordings, but there's step-by-step guides actually to getting into the suit. It's so complicated. It takes about 30 steps to actually get into it. So if you were planning to leave on your morning commute, you'd have to set aside probably a couple hours to get into this suit. Unfortunately, we, none of us at the gallery have had a chance to uh, actually inhabit this suit because it is a work of art. But if you did inhabit it, it would actually be the arms, the legs, and so forth would be quite flexible, but the kuras is quite heavy. So it would require probably an assistant to get into. It is probably from my perspective, one of the more intriguing works of art in the the exhibition and in the Japanese collection. And I would recommend anybody who has an interest in Japanese art, the art and culture of the samurai, to come to the gallery to see the samurai exhibition. And if you can't make it to the exhibition, please visit the online site, under the Samurai tab and you'll see that there is actually an online publication that the gallery has created with the generosity of the Japan Foundation, which includes essays by myself as well as five authors from around the world, from Japan, uh, Australia and the US, which elucidate the transformation of the samurai from the late 12th century all the way to the 21st century. So with that, I look forward to, you, to seeing you in the gallery and seeing you in the samurai exhibition. Thank you very much.